This episode of Attention Talk Radio is brought to you by children and adults with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Welcome to Attention Talk Radio, your ADHD information station where we help those with ADHD pay attention to attention. With your host, ADHD and attention coach, Jeff Copper. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Attention Talk Radio. I'm your host, ADHD and attention coach, Jeff Copper. Our topic tonight, ADHD and schools, a long overdue paradigm shift. Uh, we're going to get to the content in a moment. Before we do, we'd like to thank children and adults with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder for bringing this program to you. In celebration of that event, we're anxious to give away free digital copies of Attention Magazine. To get yours, just listen to our show. We'll be sharing a secret word a couple times. Write it down. Listen to another show. Um, and write down the secret word of that show, and then just email me the, the two words. That's all you need to do. Email address is attention at attentiontalkradio.com. When we get it, we'll forward it to Chad. We'll get you a PDF copy of the current edition of Attention Magazine, and they'll send you a PDF copy of the next edition when it's in print. We have a little tip that we're going to share with you that Chad made, and we'll get into the show. You've heard it from organization experts and others. If you want to get things done, you need to keep to-do lists. If all the things you need or want to accomplish keep you up at night, you might think about spending five or ten minutes before bed writing down your list for the following day. Some people prefer to start their day by creating a list. Choose whichever works best for you. To learn more about time management and ADHD, visit chad.org. Thank you so much, Chad, for your continued support. For those that are not aware, Chad is the largest not-for-profit organization that advocates on behalf of those with ADHD. We encourage all of our listeners to either donate or become members to support Chad. Financial stability is really important for them to have the resources to have people lobbying uh, on Capitol Hill for the ADHD community and working with different regulatory agencies on wording to make sure that uh, those with ADHD get the accommodations that they need in order to thrive. Again, for more information, to donate or to uh, become a member, go to chadd.org. So, Jan, please introduce our guest. Jeff, our guest today is Dr. Laurie Faith. Dr. Faith researches, writes, and speaks about feasible approaches for executive functioning support in the classroom. Following a 17-year teaching career, she is now an assistant professor and co-chair of the MA Child Study and Education Program at the University of Toronto. She is co-author of the book titled Executive Function Skills in the Classroom, Overcoming Barriers, Building Strategies, published in 2021. Find her online at activatedlearning.org. And Jeff, we're very happy to have Dr. Lori Faith with us today. Lori, welcome to the show. Well, thanks so much, Jeff. It's great to be here. You know, I, 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 it, I, I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that you reached out to me. One of, the, one of the things that I adore about being the host of Attention Talk Radio is I get people to reach out with me with ideas. And, you know, you called me um, with, this, with some ideas and, and, and caught me off guard with this particular topic, you know, uh, given your research and the things that you do and the things that I do and that notion of ADHD in schools and a long overdue paradigm shift, what our topic is today. Uh, but really, we're here just to really kind of enlighten people, grab some insights and get a conversation going about ADHD in schools and, and particularly with executive function. So I want to begin from your perspective, what is executive functioning? 
Okay. Um, well, executive functions are cognitive capacities. Um, they support all of our goal-directed performance and behavior. They allow us to form and maintain wonderful relationships and uh, manage school tasks, manage a lot of sort of externally directed um, expectations. They include things like cognitive flexibility, response inhibition, and working memory. So these are the three executive functions that we can measure clinically. And we know that those three core executive functions add up to produce a lot of other sort of executive skills that are often thrown in with the executive functions like goal-directed persistence and time management and planning. And, and I kind of want to make a little bit of a distinction of this for the people who have been listening to my show for a period of time, because I think we, we use the word executive function. It's Executive function is required to make a plan. Uh, and so whenever we start talking about time management or planning, we're, we're Executive function is kind of how you get there. There's some symptomatic views of um, executive function like focus or initiation. A lot on – if you listen to the show for a long time, I look at each individual one of them and kind of break it down and, and focus on it as a driver. So, for example, I talk a lot about um, uh, working memory. And I'll, often I'll have somebody where I'm going to talk about working memory and I want to relate it to uh, emotional self-regulation because they're kind of tied together. And I'll ask somebody, to, you know, can you calculate three to the power of five for me? And I get like, oh, shit, or I'm not very good at math. And then I have them do it, and the people, they will begin to try to three times three, times, and they, they get lost in it. And I explain to them calculating that in their head is working memory. But I go, did you see the emotional reaction that you had at the beginning that you had because that's effortful thinking. And I try to help people understand the individual parts that lead to the symptoms that kind of lead to the plan. So just a, a translation so everybody doesn't get kind of lost in some of this. And with executive function, we're, we're focused on this more and more. Translated into the classroom 30 years ago, 40 years ago, people, teachers really weren't as adept to this as my understanding. It was more they were just doing whatever they thought would work at the time. What, what are your thoughts on that? Um, what we know from research is that what teachers do naturally uh, kind of maps pretty perfectly onto uh, things that, that support the growth of executive functions. So teachers providing lots of structure in the classroom, that's a direct builder of executive functions. Uh, teachers providing novel uh, and engaging and meaningful activities that challenge students, that keep them sort of on their toes with, with new uh, challenges, that supports executive functioning. Um, we know that teachers who create just a warm, nurturing, safe environment where children feel known as though they belong and matter, we know that allows them to relax enough to fully sort of optimize their executive functions by taking advantage of all of these great opportunities. So there are a lot of things that teachers do naturally that are just perfect. And for many people, it, it works really, really well. But when you get into neurodiversity, things can get a little bit more challenging sometimes. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, there, there are a few things that teachers do naturally, habitually, that are not supportive of optimal sort of neurodevelopment. And so one of the things that tends to happen in classrooms is there's a little bit of a tug of war 
for a sense of kind of safety and control and calm and comfort. And so there'll be a student who maybe is having a hard time paying attention or having difficulty with some memorizing tasks, let's say. And so they may be uh, behaving in ways that are unexpected to the teacher. So let's imagine a child who has um, uh, decided to move their notebook underneath their desk. So anyone who is a teacher will recognize this. You see it every once in a while, a student who has squirreled themselves away into a weird spot in the classroom. Um, and what this can trigger in a teacher is a, a lot of stress. We can look out at our classroom and say, oh my goodness, the students are not behaving as I had expected. Uh, this is maybe mischief or limit testing. This is manipulation. We automatically assume that something is going wrong. And so that elevates our stress level and causes us to sort of um, exert more control over the students. So we may say something like, okay, everyone, um, you know, you know my expectation is everybody needs to be at their desk. Everybody needs to be doing this essentially in the same way. On the, on the student's end, the student may actually have been naturally um, adapting uh, around some type of limitation in their approach to learning. It may have been that they needed to limit the, the amount of visual stimulation or they needed to limit the amount of noise or they were trying to reduce their stress level. And so a lot of times the things that students do to adapt kind of get derailed. Um, in this sort of tug of war for control and calm and safety in the classroom between the teacher and the student. And so that's the area. Teacher's ability to respond when students are strategic and adaptive, that's the piece that I'm interested in. What really struck me was control. And mm -hmm. the teachers, when they're trying to control behavior, I think I heard they become kind of a little bit more restrictive in that environment which can work against those students that are, as you say, adapting. And I do a lot of when I'm coaching people, not looking at what you're supposed to do, but look at your existing behavior because I say instinctively you'll do th things to compensate for the ADD and, and a lot of understanding what works is kind of in that space. And if people are maybe getting up to move because they need to move to kind of focus and that, mm -hmm. that battleground kind of comes in. Everybody, I want to make sure everybody's well-intended in this conversation, but unbeknownstly, there's this tug of war that takes place, which can sometimes be explosive. Absolutely. It's really, really difficult. I mean, we know that it's very hard to retain teachers, especially right now. We know that, you know, mental health for both teachers, students, families, all of us is that sort of a, it's at a very low state. Everybody needs lots of support. And we're struggling against teachers who are burning out at record rates, who feel as though they don't understand their students, who feel as though they have no ability to um, do anything that will make a, a, a positive difference. So they feel really detached um, from a sense of efficacy in the classroom. Um, and when those two things go on for long enough, it is just a, it's like the edge of the cliff. Teachers cannot survive in a classroom where they feel burnt out for a long period of time. Um, so it's really, it's really, really hard. And, I, and you know, something that I, uh, I was just reading some notes. Of course, I, I had a good Google of you, um, Jeff, and there's <laughs> some really interesting things online, just things you've shared in other interviews. And, and one of the things that you shared was, um, that it was really hard for you as a younger child, but that as you grew older and began to, um, you know, you were allowed to pursue goals that were meaningful to you, 
mm-hmm. all of a sudden school really came together for you and you were getting like perfect scores in your courses and everything was going really well. And I think part of a challenge in elementary school is that there are certain things that we need to cover. You know, we need to teach children how to read. We need to take, teach them basic math skills. This is like kind of an, our ethical duty. You know, of course, we can be inquiry-based. Of course, we can allow them to pursue their passion projects and all of those things. But elementary school involves a certain amount of just externally set goals. And so mm-hmm. what's, what's really hard for teachers is understanding sort of the building blocks of motivation. And what I want to share actually with your listeners and everyone is that we don't, we don't have to eliminate all externally determined goals from our life. We can, you know, um, we can be the new guy in a job and have to pay our dues and do things that we don't love doing for a while. In the same way, you know, that we can be in a classroom and put in the hard work to learn how to read and write and do mathematics. Um, Key to fostering that in a classroom is to understand the basics of motivation, which You know, in this environment where there's a tug of war for control and there's all these stress levels competing, um, it often just gets um, trampled on, the the basic science of motivation. Um, And so, I mean, the basic science of motivation tells us that students need to have their autonomy validated, so they need opportunities to do things in their own ways. Mm -hmm. They need to have their, their competence validated so when they adopt a unique or individual strategy that's meaningful to them they need to have that validated there needs to be room for them to demonstrate their competence and they also need to feel seen and known and as though they matter so they need a sense of belonging so it's Mm -hmm. autonomy competence and belonging and if you can infuse that into these mandatory goals you can actually grow grow motivation where you w- would never assume it could live. You can grow motivation in contexts where you're teaching reading. You can have students who are excited and motivated to learn something really mm-hmm. hard in mathematics. Wow. Um, so that's what I'm – I do a lot of work with teachers um, just around grounding them back down in that, that psych- basic psychology. I love this – I want to take a break here um, just to get the word for our sponsors and come back and kind of continue on this. Particularly, it's interesting to me because as you were talking about elementary school, I always looked at elementary school as you were learning the basics, like the tools. Like if you're going to go build a house, you got to learn here's a screwdriver, here's a saw, here's a hammer, here's a nail, you know, whatever. When I was in Boy Scouts, in the early stages, there's like before you get the merit badges, this is basic skills. Here's first aid, da, 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 da. And some of that stuff is just kind of rote. And I remember when I when I was going through, sometimes it was it was challenged, but I also remember other times it was fun. So we'll build on that and continue with our discussion. Everyone, to learn more about Lori, check out her website at activatedlearning.org. Again, that's activatedlearning.org. Our secret word tonight is overdue. And with that, we'll be right back after these messages. Your life, your world, your choice. This is Attention Talk Radio. Are you always late? The Time Timer is an award-winning time management solution that's helped millions of people with ADHD manage life better. As time passes, Time Timer's bright red disc disappears. Visit Timetimer.com and use the discount code ATR for 15% off. Transform lives as a professionally trained ADHD coach at the ADD Coach Academy. ADHD coaching is in demand, a calling, and a career. 
Learn how you can change lives by going to addca.com slash ATR. That's addca.com slash ATR. Managing ADHD is about pausing before you ponder and proceed. This opportunity to practice pausing is being brought to you by digcoaching.com. And now, back to Attention Talk Radio. Welcome back, everybody. We're here with uh, Lori Faith having a conversation about uh, classroom and ADHD neurodiversity. Um, some really good nuggets so far. What struck me was the, one of the, the battleground in, in classrooms and talking about control. And we've had a lot of different shows speaking to control, particularly when it comes to parents and kids. And the notion that you know kids need to have a sense of control, and sometimes if you control them too much – you actually start to lose them, but if you let them have control, you can gain a little bit more influence. And so I'm just kind of throwing that in here. And before the break, we were talking really about the basics of motivation. And what I hear you having like conversations of working with teachers uh, to learn that a little bit more to ultimately gain some influence in their class for everybody to work together. Am I misinterpreting that? No, I think you, you've summarized it perfectly, uh, Jeff. And, you know, it's, uh, it's such a shame that uh, we see so much of the intervention around ADHD as needing to happen in Tier 2 or Tier 3 settings, so in small group outside of the classroom or one-on-one. And, you know, we're, we're always going to need those Tier 2 and Tier 3, especially the coaching is incredibly valuable and useful. Um, but we're, we're missing such an opportunity in, um, in the classroom. We have so much capacity we have so much uh, sort of face time with students over years and years. We have these highly trained educators in that classroom building relationships. We have the incredible advantage of a peer group. Um, and so the classroom is just highly underutilized as a site of intervention for ADHD. Um, when, I, when I talk to teachers and educators and the research reflects that, you know, educators some of them actually, at some point, have heard the gospel about motivation. They know that they should be, you know, autonomy supportive, and they know children like to belong and feel as though they matter and feel competent. They know it, but it doesn't seem to fit in a, in a context where they have tons of competing demands, they have heavy curriculum to cover, um, they have so many students with a lot of different needs. Uh, and so uh, the work that I've done, I, I think I'm, I, I think if I, if I had a business card, it would say tactician on it. I feel like I am <laughs> into the tactic of motivation um, in school. And so that's a big, big part of what I've done in school is kind of designing, co-creating with teachers a tactic um, for achieving motivation and self-regulated learning in this context. It's- this kind of goes back to a reoccurring theme if you're listening to our program over a long period of time. There's lots of information out there, but it's the execution of that information and the training of it that really is kind of the key. And so can you talk to us a little bit about some of the tactics that you work with teachers on? Sure. Um, so the main tactic I use is a protocol. So protocols are great. I mean, we teachers in classrooms operate organically all the time. I mean, that's why a computer can't teach as well as a human being can teach because we need to be adaptive and flexible and sensitive and in in relationship with our students. But there are moments where we need to step outside of all of those things um, because all of all of that context also involves things like habit and bias 
<laughs> and so mm-hmm. protocols allow us to very temporarily step outside of an organic sort of mode of operation and put ourselves into a more structured mode of operation. And so the, the protocol that I use is called the Barriers and Strategies Protocol. And basically, when a teacher looks out at a room full of students and sees things that are unexpected, let's say you've put together a great lesson and you are expecting your students to, let's say, write uh, one page of creative response to a field trip. Um, and you look out across the room and nobody is doing uh, what you predicted they would do. There's, there's that one under the table. There's a student who's pacing around the back of the room. There's a couple of students talking. Somebody maybe is doodling. Um, and this can be a trigger for a lot of heavy control from the teacher. It can also be a trigger for reduced expectations. Um, or it can be a trigger for just too much help. It can be a trigger for mm-hmm. teachers saying, okay, I'm going to write a starter sentence on the board. All of you just need to fill in the blanks. Um, and that's not what students with, with ADHD need. They need their competence validated. They need a chance to be creative and do things that are meaningful. Um, and so using a protocol at this moment, instead of doing those things, calling the students together and saying, wow, you know, I, the way you responded to this uh, opportunity, was it was not how I expected. Like, let's talk about this. Tell me more about what you're experiencing the teachers that I work with, it's just a, you write a T-chart on the board or on a flip stand or something, and on one side it says barriers, and on the other side it says strategies, and you can open like a five-minute conversation saying, just tell me more about what's making this hard for you. Like, let's dig in. And at this point, we encourage teachers, you, you know, you're looking to be surprised. You're looking to actually learn something about your students and the way they engage with learning, you're, you're looking to take on some new pedagogical knowledge. So you may discover the truth about the student who's under the desk. You may hear them say, the room is really overwhelming for me and I feel super calm under my desk. Or you may hear someone like little Jeff saying, you know, I need it to move. I get my best ideas when I'm pacing around and moving because I'm an athlete. Um, and so this is where um, this is sort of a twofold benefit of, of taking this structured protocol moment because the teacher is taking on this incredible pedagogical knowledge and coming closer and closer into relationship with students. So having a chance to feel that compassion, maybe having a chance to hear, oh, uh, you know, the reason that I'm talking to a friend is I didn't get this, I didn't do any of this type of work in my class last year and I was trying to get up to speed or I'm really upset this morning my mom and dad had a really big fight and I just can't manage anything. And that's the, that's the opposite of burnout. When you have a chance to learn mm-hmm. more about what your students are experiencing, that builds that connection and, and, um, and compassion. And the next so, step is... Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yep. Keep going. <laughs> the next step is for the teacher to open a similarly sensitive, curious, engaged conversation with them around, wow, now we've written down all of these challenges. Let's talk strategy. Who, who's got some really weird and wonderful and cool ideas for what kinds of strategies we can use to be more successful? So I'm listening to you, and there's – how do I do this? So people hear the word coach, and when you go – I try to make a distinction because the, the word coach is a fashionable word in, in the world. And as I describe people, there's like coaches that are behavioral coaches, and then if you're a life coach – um, and you subscribe to the International Coach Federation model, it's very different from what most people think it is because in life coaching, the, the individual is created naturally resourceful and whole. They have all the answers. Your job as a coach is just to ask questions to facilitate yeah. the discovery process. It's, it, it, 
The two different things that I've just described could not be more different. One is very directive, do it this way, and the other one is I have no idea what's going to work. I'm going to ask you questions so you kind of figure it out. And I'm highlighting that because what you're describing um, with this is when you say, hey, this is not what I expect. What's your experience? You're crossing over from the very directive behavioral to the more coaching-like, and one of the keys in there is to be really open to be surprised and learn something. That's one of the – I kind of tell people, if you watch my YouTube channel, I think there's probably 350, maybe 400 videos up there right now. Probably 250 yeah. of them came from coaching calls or as i described for long-term listeners i coached a woman one time where we had a smell-based to-do list like never before never since (laughs) and i didn't find out that if you buy the right ones certain crayons have odor to them and stuff like that and so i'm going back to what you're talking about is the paradigm shift that we talked in the title of moving from a very very control and directive to one more open and collaborative and really looking at the kids to discover and what you said which was amazing is in that moment, a, a neuro, a, a person with ADHD, he's not no typo, could actually disclose, I'm uncomfortable, I'm overstimulated with the sensory noise, or I can't sit still, which is the clue to actually kind of gain control. So I, I kind of went on that little diatribe. Thoughts on that? Yeah. That- yeah, that's, I mean, it's amazing. There's, we have a term called jingle jangle in research, which, which means that we're all talking about the same things, just using different yep. terminology to describe it. <laughs> um, and so really, there's, this is, there's no magic to this. I mean, there's, there's lots of papers written about how, you know, psychosocial uh, interventions are not magic. They're just very obvious and straightforward, but the, the, the magic to them is that we actually, for some reason, our habits and our biases drive us away from them. And, and it's all about mindfulness. It's all about recognizing yep. my stress level will drive me towards control. If I take a deep breath and engage in a protocol, I can control, I can intentionally interrupt, to borrow a phrase from my, my mentor, Stephen Katz, I can intentionally interrupt myself um, and do, do differently and do yep. better for my students. And the other thing, I want to pick up on something you said. You said, our job is to facilitate discovery, and it's so true, and to come to the work with genuine curiosity and an openness to be surprised and to learn. And the other thing I think is our job is to facilitate reflection and adjustment. And so Mm -hmm. that pulls in sort of a cycle of self-regulated learning where the first part is to recognize what your goal is and to think strategically. But it's very important in classrooms and, and in coaching and, um, uh, and in coaching relationships to come back and say, great, now let's yep. talk about how that worked for you. Let's yep. look and see, did you meet your objectives or did you not? And, and let's talk about whether or not this strategy actually worked or whether it needs to be adjusted. And the thing that we're interrupting there is the desire to completely meddle and be over-involved as the student is attempting the strategy that they have selected. And so I think this happens a lot in a parent-child relationship. It may happen in coaching relationships. It certainly happens in classrooms where we have this wonderful initial conversation where we're so curious and we invite all of this autonomy and competence, and then they begin to do it, and it begins to go off the rails or not work, which is great. It's going to be useful information if we can get to the reflection stage. But then we meddle and we, we confound yep. the, the, the experiment by changing things <laughs> midway. We don't run the experiment. We yep. say we, we're knocking on our kid's door and, and peeking our head in and saying, 
you were going to stay focused, right? I see you're on your yep. phone and then closing the door, sliding a note underneath. Are you still working hard? <laughs> yeah. You know, we pace around and, and over and over manage them as they're doing it. But I really think, you know, these cycles of self-regulated learning, it shouldn't be one long fraught cycle where we over control them the whole way it should yep. be many iterative cycles absolutely. where we let them run it absolutely yeah absolutely yeah hey what i need to run a break just for a time perspective when we come back i want to kind of pick up on this because i i think i got a fun way of kind of pulling this together everyone uh check out uh Lori face website at activatedlearning.org. again that's activatedlearning.org. our secret word tonight is overdue and with that we'll be right back after these messages you're listening to attention talk radio We'll return in a moment. Your life, your world, your choice. This is Attention Talk Radio. Change your life by learning more about managing ADHD. Other places give you a few tips. The ADD Coach Academy will change your life. To find out more, go to addca.com slash ATR. That's addca.com slash ATR. Are you always late? The Time Timer is an award-winning time management solution that's helped millions of people with ADHD manage life better. As time passes, Time Timer's bright red disc disappears. Visit Timetimer.com and use the discount code ATR for 15% off. Could hiring an attention coach really help you move forward? (laughs) Does a child get wet when they dive into a swimming pool? You can get started moving forward today. Just call Dig Coaching Practice at 813-837-8084 and schedule a free consultation. Tell us you heard about us on Attention Talk Radio and get 50% off your discovery session. For more information, visit digcoaching.com. Don't delay. Do it today. And now, back to Attention Talk Radio. Welcome back, everybody. We're here with Lori Faith having a great conversation about uh, uh, learning schools, Kids, neurodiversity, et cetera, and um, <laughs> as I always tell guests, sometimes we're going, we're going to take a turn here a little bit, and I'm going to lay this one on you, Lori, kind of get your thoughts. When I saw Dr. Russell Barkley the first time in 2010 talking about ADHD and his executive function impairment, largely one is self-regulation. He defined two things you have to regulate. One is your attention, and the other is your emotions. It was a watershed moment for me, and I still continue peeling back the onion on the emotion side and learn deeper. There is so much to that. Even though emotion is not part of the diagnostic criteria, it's kind of everything. So I'm going to set the stage. Emotional self-regulation is a challenge for people with ADHD, for them to pause and override their emotions, engage their thinking mind. Often I will get a phone call from a parent who, whose kid's having difficulty, like, will you coach my kid? And my go-to question is if they're having so much difficulty, why are you calling me, particularly for the college crowd? And they tell me how much the kid really wants some help, but then I start hearing the word get. I need to get. I get Anyway, when I'm in that stage, I'm often saying is like, I understand that you want to help your kid, but one of the challenges is self-regulation. And right now, are you noticing your voice is raising and that you're getting emotional and that you need to self-regulate yourself, calm down because you're pressing so hard that you're, you're having some difficulty? And I'm, I'm going to tee that up because when we're under pressure – We've got to control, and there's that old saying, you know, patience is a virtue, and a lot of times when I was listening to you earlier, Lori, self-discovery is one of those things. You have to slow down at first. It takes longer. To, you're not going to move as fast because you've got to get people reflective, but then it catches up and will pay spades, but our world is so impatient, 
And I'm kind of hearing the same thing as, you know, teachers have a lot that's going on. It's about you got to stop and pause and self-regulate and stick with what works as opposed to throwing the baby out with the bathwater and just trying to control the situation. Now, have I oversimplified that or missed something as a simple way of understanding what we're talking about here? Oh, no, I, I'm so glad. I mean, that was next on my list. I was going to try to steer the conversation that way myself. <laughs> emotions are so important. Emotions are often thrown in along with executive functions. And so you may have seen emotional control characterized in a, as an executive function. I, I happen to be writing a book with maybe the world's foremost neuroscientist in executive functions right now, Adele Diamond, who, who yesterday you know, restated her the the fact that emotional control is not an executive function. Emotional control takes place in a completely different area of the brain from all of the executive functions. It does have a bi-directional relationship with executive functions. So emotional control both enables executive functions to work. Um, so we know that the prefrontal cortex will not sort of turn on unless the brainstem is calm and regulated and, um, you know, our arousal level is under control. On the other hand, we know that we can use our executive functions to manage our emotional control. So we can plan strategies that we will use. We can use a timer to keep track of how long it takes us to get back under control. So we know there is a bi-directional relationship there, and it's really important. In school, emotional control, I think, and this is going to be a huge plug for a program that probably lots of your listeners who are educators already know about, um, but may be helpful for coaches and parents, um, and that's the zones of regulation. I mean, uh, for my my money, that is the, the best program for supporting students and bringing their arousal level or their level of emotions, their stress level under control. And the way that program works is just by helping students to identify kind of what triggers me, what does my body feel like when I'm in an elevated state that won't be optimal for my prefrontal cortex to fire and all of my good problem solving to take place, and what are the kinds of tools that I can use to be more successful. And so, as you say, it's all about implementation, the kind of the work's been done in this amazing program, um, you know, lots of like little structured lessons and worksheets, uh, mm-hmm. digging in with children and, and adults too, you know, what does my body feel like? Because oftentimes we're so stressed, and this applies especially to parents, we're so stressed that we don't even have time to think about being stressed, <laughs> you know? Like we're yep. at our most stressed. We feel like that's the time when we least want to deal with calming and and um, yeah. regulating. So, uh, so I want to I want to highlight what you said. Bay the triggers in the body, like when you're in an emotional state, your mind is an emotional state. The, we say in coaching, the body doesn't lie. So if you're going to try to manage your emotions, you've got to go to the body. You've got to start listening to it. And if you're interested, we did an interview with Autumn Zatani of Sesame Street back in 2014. Back then, season cool. 43 was on – the whole season was on self-regulation. The whole, there, there was me want cooking me wait. But our show was really on self-regulation, and they talked about how they used the Muppets with preschoolers to help the preschoolers identify the different emotions and identify identify where they felt in their body and the idea is yeah. when they would feel it in that one place they would stop they would belly breathe they would count to three i'm more descriptively describing this but Lori was actually talking about the body and the trigger before and whether if you're a parent or adult go listen to it just think like big bird is like your boss or something like that because the same thing applies and the mm-hmm. thing that's interesting to me 
and my coaching is over the last several years, um, I had a huge revelation during the pandemic, and that is people that are struggling with emotional self-regulation, they often don't even know it. And then when they know it, it's like they, they realize it in the rearview mirror, but it's hard sometimes to bring them present. And so I loved the last election in the United States because it was so polarizing that I, when I had adults with, with emotional regulation problems, if you were a Trump fan, you had to go home and watch CNN news. And if you were a Biden fan, you had to go watch Fox News. It was a simulated exercise in the privacy of your own home, and you would walk in expecting to feel the rage, and your job was to catch your body and calm down. What was interesting to me, Maury, how many people couldn't even try it? I mean, they were off the wall before they got in there. But anyway, it's, it was a tangible type way for people to get con- in contact with, with what's going on. Mm-hmm. Bringing this back to the bigger picture is we're talking about ADHD in classroom. We're ended up on self-regulation. Neurotypicals have the challenge of it. And anytime you have pressure, you're going to have a harder time to self-regulate because your instinctive reaction is to go to control. And this conversation about opening up this paradigm to say, wait a second, there's some basics that are there. And what you're doing in a way is teaching um, teachers and other people that, that this, this methodology to kind of stick to, to kind of self-regulate makes all the sense in the world to me um, and something we all should be really paying attention to. So anything you would like to fix in that or any, any comments on that? It's long diatribe. It's so it's so great. You do such a great thing, Jeff. I'm so glad that you, for I'm grateful for all the hard work you've put into building this community. It's wonderful. There's one thing I will add to your to your really insightful discussion about emotion, and that is that you know that moment where we uh, go in and we're excited to be mad about something, or we 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 don't want to let go of those feelings. Um, I think a, a lot of that is because we don't very often have our feelings validated, and the research tells us that. Feelings that are invalidated just get bigger. They dig in and they often convert into, you know, from sadness or worry into things like anger. Um, mm. And so when we're in spaces where we feel like we desperately don't want to let go of big emotions and we're, we're almost like wary of anyone trying to tell us not to be angry, it may very well be that it's because we are in a, a context where emotions don't get validated properly. And the research tells us that as soon as you say something to an adult or a child, something like, you know, I hear you saying that you hate this math work and I completely understand. I know it's been hard for you. And I think it's really normal to feel those feelings right now. Let's talk about how we can move, move forward, even though we're having these feelings. So yeah, emotions are a big part of the picture. And then just to throw in the 25 cent word for how emotions feel in our body it's, it's a sense. It's called interoception. It's knowing when my stomach's rumbling or my palms are sweaty, having that sense that being able to um, feel it and associate it with emotion, it's called interoception. And if, for, if you, you want to learn more about that, if you Google Attention Rock, Attention Talk Radio, Olivardia, O-L-I-V-A-R-D-I-A, and interoception, you'll, we did an interview with him specifically on that. And one of the Ways I kind of help people understand that is um, people with ADHD have a hard time with that interception. And talking about how when he was a kid, his legs are crossed and he's squirming. And his mother walks up like, do you have to go to the bathroom? He needed to go to the bathroom, but he wasn't registering in his world. And there's some people who struggle with that type of awareness more than others. Have to be like, you look like you need to go to the bathroom. Oh, my God, I got to. So anyway, again, you can go look up some more on that show. Um, so I need to kind of pull this thing together. The, the idea here of the show is to talk about ADHD in schools and the paradigm shift and the, the regaining like 
patience and self-regulation to go back to the fundamentals of motivation. And what I like is the, the, the moving away from control to gain influence, which ultimately you get control by listening to the students and paying attention to them to discover what's going on and their neurodiversity. And if you can discover a kid's, you know, the classroom's kind of crazy and they need a, a quieter place or somebody's bouncing off the walls and you can begin to listen to them and work with them. You're ultimately going to get to where you really want to go. It's kind of counterintuitive, but the more you listen and the more patient you are and meet them where they are, the more you end up getting where you need to go. Is that a reasonable yeah, summary? That's, that's a beautiful summary. Perfect. All right. <laughs> Any last thoughts before we close it out? No, I'm, I, you know, I'm heading in about five minutes. I'm heading into another call with a, a, a school. I was with a school board yesterday. I'm having, I'm having such a great time working with educators because this change. It, it's time for this change to come in our schools. It's time uh, to make more room for students with ADHD and also sort of all students to learn to be strategic and capable and autonomous and feel competent and like they matter in classrooms. So it's kind of beautiful work. I mean, the educators are really inspired, and, and a big change is coming. So thanks thanks Excellent. for helping me to spread the word. I'm happy to. So if you're a teacher out there, or even a parent for that matter, doesn't, or, or even the spouse of somebody with ADHD, go to our website. Again, it's activatedlearning.org, and they can get access to your book, Executive Function Skills in the Classroom, Overcoming Bears, Building Strategies. Is that right? You got On it. Website? All right. So again, I'm going to you say the book it. again, Executive Function Skills in the Classroom, Overcoming Bears, Building Strategies. Again, while she's, she works a lot with teachers, everybody can benefit from this, and you can get that at her uh, website, activatedlearning.org. So, Lori, thanks for coming on the show. What a treat. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks so much. My pleasure, everybody. We hope you've enjoyed this edition of Attention Talk Radio. Again, our secret word tonight is overdue. Catch us next week. We've got another episode coming up soon. Take care.